All right. Well, we are in Second Corinthians on Sundays. Just kidding. We're in Judges chapter 2. I almost said Second Judges. That's how tired I am this evening. I've been saying good morning all afternoon. Yes, Dan, thank you for reminding me. But I will say this. We have a special treat in the chapter this evening. So let's go before the Lord, and we're going to find it right in the very beginning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray you continue to speak to us. You're so faithful. Every sermon we pray and we seek you, and we know that your word promises that it will not return void. And so we pray once again that you would empower it in our lives, you would empower its reading, and you would write it on the tablets of our hearts, Lord, to carry with us wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 of the book of Judges. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And so it was, When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. So the question is, who is this angel, this angel of the Lord? And if you study this passage, you'll see that it is Jesus himself in a Christophany or a Theophany, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ before his coming when he, uh, as a child or as a man. How do we know this? When it says it's the angel of the Lord, you'll see capital A, capital L. And what does he say there in the very first verse? I led you up from Egypt. And you'll see throughout the rest of this portion of scripture, he's using that first person tense. I did this, I did this, I did this. And we know it's not God the Father because God the Father cannot be seen by man. No man sees the Father and lives. And so this has to be Jesus himself. And even though his message is hard, even though his message is difficult here, you guys haven't done what I said. I've, I've delivered you after all this stuff, and you haven't done what I said, and now bad things are going to happen. It is so reassuring to me that Jesus is there. The angel of the Lord is in their midst. How, how is that reassuring? In all of the book of Judges, we're going to see that they're going to do whatever is right in their own eyes. And it never ceases to amaze me how rotten to the core I am, how, how rotten you are, and how left to ourselves without the influence of the Father, without the influence of the Holy Spirit and the influence of the Lord, how we will constantly drip, 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 <clears throat> try that again. We will constantly drift to the negative, to the damaging, to that which hurts us, to the temptation. And in the midst of that backsliding, in the midst of that going in the wrong direction, in the midst of that stagnation, the Lord is there. God is there. He's in the midst. And he's speaking to all of the nation of Israel here. 
See, all of the nation of Israel hears the Lord saying these things. And we see that the enemy, he's never going to take it easy on us, ever. In fact, I love what John Corson said in his commentary. He said, Satan never has a good day. He never says, I feel pretty nice today. I think I'll lit up for a bit and kind of bless people as they sin. No, he is a murderer and a destroyer. He is out to rip you off and wipe you out. Refusal to do battle with the sin in our lives always leads to Bochum, the place of sorrow and weeping. And that's what that name means, the, the place of sorrow and weeping. Israel didn't want to go out. They didn't want to battle. They didn't want to fight the Canaanites. They didn't want to kick out that idolatry. They wanted to compromise. They just wanted to take it easy for a minute. And the Lord comes to them, and he tells them, you're taking it easy. You're not doing what you're supposed to. It's going to cost you. It's always going to cost you. But it is so reassuring to me that in the midst of my brokenness, in my mistakes, in my failures, the Lord shows up every time. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We can be the worst spouse, the worst bride on the planet to our groom, Jesus, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so that is reassuring to me. And when we talk about this country and we are going to apply some of the things that are happening to the nation of Israel in this chapter to our country and our society, that is going to reassure us again that he hasn't given up on the United States of America. He hasn't given up on the church. He hasn't given up on your family. He hasn't given up on your loved ones, your prodigals. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So knowing that, let's read now verses 6 through 10. As it says, and when Joshua had dismissed the people, wait a minute, didn't he die? We'll come to that in a second. The children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timnath Heres in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gush, or Gaash. They're not here. They can't correct us. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. We're going to come back to that verse in a minute, but I wanted to approach... What, did Joshua come back from the grave? I, I thought it said in chapter 1, when Joshua died. So they're looking back in retrospect. They're looking backwards. And they're making this transition now from the death of Joshua once again and how he followed the, his fathers and how he had that last speech. If you remember in the last chapter of Joshua, he spoke to the elders and to the priests. Then he spoke to all of the nation of Israel. He told them, do not stop fighting the Canaanites. Do not stop taking the promised land. The Lord will bless you. Don't turn to their idols. Stick to the true living God. And remember what he said at 110 years old? As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Then you fast forward to Judges chapter 1. It starts off when Joshua is already in the grave. And it shows how they started to go to battle and they started to win. And then if you were here last week, 
you know, they started to compromise already. By the end of the chapter, they had already given it up. And so here in chapter 2, we have this transition where the Lord shows up in his theophany or Christophany, and he talks and he reiterates what the promises of Scripture said, because he will never change his mind. His promises are yes and amen. And they had had multiple choices that they had to make to serve after the Lord, and many of them did not starting with Joshua, and then Caleb, and then the Lord himself, I told you. And so now, as we transition to verses 6 and 10, they're making that transition from Joshua's day, and then you get to that verse 10. That verse 10, doesn't it hurt? It hurts to even read it. It says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor work which he had done. For Israel. A generation arose that did not witness the miracles. They didn't know the manna, what it tasted like in the 40 years in the desert. A generation arising that is living in a society of stone houses and not tents. The tabernacle is now in Shiloh, kind of there, but people aren't always going to it like they used to. It used to be the center of life in the nation of Israel for 40 years. They could look and see the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire. A generation has come now that didn't see the 10 plagues. They didn't see Pharaoh destroyed. They didn't see the, wa- the rock bringing forth water. They weren't bit by those snakes that had to see the snake put up on the pole. All, all these miracles all pointing to Christ yet future. And this generation didn't see all those things. And you can only imagine. That maybe that generation started to doubt. Maybe grandpa was embellishing that story. Maybe it wasn't a miracle. You know, maybe it wasn't quite like they said it was. And they're beginning to compromise because not only are they living in stone houses with fields that were already created by their enemies, as the Lord promised, they're also living side by side with idolatrous tribes. And they're saying, well, it's not so bad. They're happy. It's not so bad. They're, they have iron and chariots. I mean, they're more technologically advanced. You know, maybe we have something to learn from them. And the compromise is beginning to creep in. Now, the, th- the blessing about this fellowship and speaking to this fellowship is we are a multi-generational church here. We have very young and we have very old. We're also a multicultural church. We have people from different continents and countries that have grown up, and we have all these different backgrounds. But it's easy for us to think that those of us that are a little older in the room are those of the older generation that saw those things performed. You ain't even close to some of the amazing things that have happened in this country, in the United States of America the first and second great awakenings, to seeing the circuit riders of the 1800s that would teach in 12 churches on a Sunday, just going from town to town to town spreading the gospel, to seeing in the second great awakening in Boston and the East Coast, taverns closing and uh, bars closing. A, A time in America when sensitivities and, and cultural uh, settings where uh, in the early 1900s in America, 
if you showed three inches of leg, ladies, on the beach, you were getting a ticket for indecency. When alcohol was such a destructive force in this country that we passed a constitutional amendment to end it, inspired by people's faith. And instead, generation after generation, and those of us in this room, we haven't witnessed those things face to face. We don't know those things. We haven't experienced those things. And if we go back even farther, just because I'm going to really history nerd out here, we look at the Puritans who sold everything they had in their lives. They didn't jump on the Mayflower in England and just boat over here like on a carnival cruise. They spent several years in the Netherlands scraping together every penny they could. The majority of them, I shouldn't say majority, but a great many of them died on the way over here. And then when they got here, most of them starved to death. Then you did get to the majority. Why did they do those things? Because they wanted to have the freedom to worship God on their own without government interference. Now, I want you to understand the gravity of what I am saying. The gravity of what I am saying is they were willing to give up their homes, their privileges, their careers. They were willing to lose their spouses. They were willing to lose their children. It was worth the risk to open and read the Bible on their own. How many generations are we removed from that? I'm not, don't get me wrong, I am not trying to get us on a guilt trip here. What I do want us to be is in the same eyes that they were here in the Old Testament, where we see the generational drag, the drift, the slow departure from the Lord. And then I want to bring us back to the very first part of this chapter. But Jesus was there. But the Lord is here now. He is with us now. Where two or more in the midst, He is here. Where the Word of God is, He is here. And He is able and willing to do those things again. Are we? Are we in a situation? Are we in a, in a place to receive from God and to realize that, yes, generations before us have done great things. And we are, maybe not you guys, maybe just me. You know, I am a scumbag. If you know me enough, you'll realize I'm a prideful, arrogant, sinful individual. Okay, too many of you are nodding your heads yes. <laughs> you know, I am fallen, but Christ has made me a new creation in him. And any good thing that dwells in me comes from him, as the scripture says. And the same thing is true of you. And so we are victorious in the midst of our own Canaanites, in our own culture. We have the same God, we have the same Lord, and we have the same Jesus, and he is still the angel of the Lord. He is the Lord himself. And so let's continue now, because this is the book of Judges. So you, I want you to know what the theme is of the book of Judges, but wait, it gets worse. Okay, that's the theme, verse 11 through 15. Then the children of, the Israel, of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Just let that sit there and sting for a minute. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them 
and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroths, or Ashtoreths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. And you know what's interesting about this? Is that we will make bad decisions in our lives, personally. And we'll make bad choices, and we'll turn away from the Lord, we'll turn away from the Word of God, we'll compromise with the world because, you know, we want to add their stuff in, and knowingly or unknowingly we begin to bow to make-believe idols because Ashtaroth, Baal, they're made up. They're demons at best, but they are nothing. They're not competitors of God. They are imitations that are false and created by man or demons. And yet man is bowing down to them and worshiping them. And yet Israel, the children of Israel, who have been delivered from all the chains of Egypt, are bowing down. They're bowing down before these idols. Why? Why? You know, it's so easy to start reading a chapter like this and point fingers and be like, wow, they're so bad. Oh, my goodness, look how terrible they are. If I were back in that day and I saw those miracles and I knew about Shiloh and I knew about the tabernacle, I would never do those things. You're just lying to yourself because in us dwells no good thing. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So why are we so prideful that we look at Israel and we say, oh, the Lord's really going to get you. You really deserve it. Well, if we look in the spiritual mirror, we realize that we are no different. When King David later in the Old Testament, he sins against the Lord because against the Lord's command, he counted the nation of Israel. He wanted to know how strong his armies were, not the Lord's. The Lord comes to him in judgment, but he does it in an interesting way. He talks to David and he says, David, you can choose. You can choose to be delivered into the hands of your enemies, or I can bring a pestilence. I can bring a, a sickness. And David's answer is very wise. He says, I far, I, I, it is far better for me to fall into the judgment of God, which is righteous, instead of the hands of my enemies, which is not. And so God brought that judgment on him. It is far better for us as believers, when we do falter, to know that the Lord chastens those that He loves. And it is far better to receive the Lord's chastening in our lives than to go to the Baals and the Ashtaroth, to go to Facebook, to go to the false religions, to go to business, to go to politics, to go to the government, to go to anything outside of the Lord and say, you know what, why don't you guys go ahead and judge me? You know, why do I say something like that? Because it says here that the Lord gives up the nation of Israel. He gives them over, and then they're taken into captivity. Other groups, other countries are coming in, and they're enforcing their demands. 
They're enforcing their demands on those people. And what do you think they say? Nothing is new under the sun. Well, how, if your God is real, then why is this happening to you? If your God is real, then why, are you, why is this being allowed? Why isn't God delivering you? And we talk about the culture war here in America in the 21st century. And the exact same thing is happening now. Well, we're going to remove your 501c3 status. You know, we're going to tax the churches. Okay, tax them. I don't care. Tax. You tax everything else anyway. I don't care about your 501c3. I don't care about your tax money. I will teach in a parking lot. Tax that. Oh, yeah. You're going to have to pay a ticket to go into the parking lot. Okay, let's go into the woods. I'll, I'll preach there. I like it better there anyway. But we get so concerned about what the world is doing and their oppression and their involvement, and they're demanding to us that they want to come to you. And if you put your kids in public school and they, want to have, the, and they have the influence of the world, and they're seeing all of the TikToks and the video and the social media, and then they go to public school, and then they're there for 30 hours a week, and they're telling them that every difficulty that you're ever going through is because you know you weren't really supposed to be the gender that you are. And then you go talk to a counselor, and then they encourage you like, well, are you really sure that you're that gender? And then if you even for a minute would say, well, you know what, I'm not really sure, they're trying to mandate in the government that you're par- the parent, you, you, the parent, will not be told. And they will hide that gender reassignment from you, the parent. And we say, oh, that's okay, because that's somebody else's kid. That's somebody else's family. Maybe that's a non-believer. And we say, okay, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Just stay away from us. Just stay away from the church. And we just nod our heads. Yeah, that's okay. That's what's happening here in the book of Judgments, as they're falling away and they're slowly drifting away from the Lord, the, con- the constant compromise with the enemy is drifting in more and more and more, and it's leading them to fall farther and farther away. And we say, oh, that's okay because it's not my kid. But now they're starting to come into the church. And they'll, they'll say, well, you know, if you teach anything against homosexuality, then that's a hate speech. They'll never do that in the United States of America, you say. In Canada, that's already a thing. You, you can get arrested right now. That's a first world Western Hemisphere country. And if you don't think that we'll do the same here, you're out your mind. Because there are people here that are a little bit older. Where's Kevin O'Connell? Just kidding. And if you had gone back in time and told you 40 years ago, 30 years ago, that what I just said from this pulpit was an actual fact, that children in America could change their gender without their parents. Now, you would have laughed me silly as how is that even possible? That's not possible. We are all sinners who have fallen short. Uh, We have to say something. And it starts with what Joshua said back in the end of Joshua. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And so... As far as America is concerned, I am so embarrassed that we drew the line with a beer, with a beer. We didn't, we didn't get enraged over the compromise in the Bible. Oh, no, that's somebody else. That's fine. It was a beer that got people to look. I'm embarrassed. But then I'm not pointing the, the finger at you guys. When did I say something? When did I step up? Who did I call? Who did I write? 
Who did I protest? Who did I stop buying? Nothing, because I said, you know what, as long as you don't mess with that Sunday morning, Wednesday night in my family Bible study, whatever, the world can just go wherever it goes. You know, that's up to the Lord. But it's the nation of Israel coming back to the context here. If you were wondering, like, when's he getting back to the chapter? Who are we bowing down to? Are we bowing down to Baal, to Ashtaroth, Ashtoreth, or to the Lord? Are we standing up for biblical truth and values? Are we standing up against a culture of compromise? Because compromise always begets compromise. That's what we see. And that's what we're going to see for chapter after chapter. And the Lord says, if that's what you want, then that's what you get. And he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them, it says. And now we get to the final portion of this chapter. We're going to do a little bit of reading. We're going to read from 16 to 23. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with them, with the judge, and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. But following other gods to serve them and bow down to them, they did not cease from their own doings nor their stubborn way. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and have not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So we want to look at a few observations here. Number one, the first word in verse 16 is a very beautiful word, nevertheless. That's a breath of fresh air. Mike Burford is a filthy sinner. Nevertheless, God gave his only begotten son. He is full of failure and compromise and backslidden. Nevertheless, I fill him with his Holy Spirit. I made him new. I use him as a chosen vessel. The nation of Israel continued to follow after false gods. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges. Remember, the judge is not the guy in the black robe. He is a deliverer. He's like a hero. He is a victorious and strong fighter who stands up. I love the, it says here, the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. The Lord was moved to pity. He has compassion. And he has compassion on you. Again, 
How did this chapter start? With the Lord delivering a tough but honest message of truth to the nation of Israel face to face. He's there. He's in it. And he's in it with us. And he's in this battle with us. And the, even though the Lord was moved to pity with their groaning, as soon as the judge died, it says here, when, they judge, when the judge was dead, that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. Reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. Look at the last five generations of America. I'm just randomly picking a number five. They reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. As we're on a continual slide. Slide to where? Guys, we are victorious Christians. I will not leave you in the, in the bottom of despair. We are sliding to the Lord's return where He will set all things straight. He'll say, that was enough. You kids messed up the house. I'm coming back to fix it up. And He will take us back and we will be victorious. But we are in a time of testing the same way that the nation of Israel is. The Bible says here, the Lord gave them up. Even after He raised up judges because of pity, they would be delivered for a small amount of time. They would backslide and behave more corruptly than their fathers. And then the Lord gave them up. He gave them over. And the Bible tells us in the book of Romans exactly what is happening in America now in, verses, in chapters 1 through 3. And He says He gave them over to their uncleanness. They're getting what they want. The Lord is letting them do what they want. This is what they want. They want to dress up like another gender. They want to be multiple genders. They want to be with different... Uh, genders, men doing with men what is unseemly, women doing with what women which is unseemly, Je Romans 1, 2, and 3, nothing new under the sun. You think they invented it that year, this year? You think that's a new, a 21st century new thing, this liberation that they're under? You go read about Alexander the Great and read about that Greek government at that time. You read about Alexander's army and what they did for 20 years on the march we want to really go down another rabbit hole, because why not? It's Wednesday night. <laughs> Some of those most unseemly traditions that you'll find in the Afghanistan mountains were placed there by those Greek soldiers all the way back to Alexander's time. Things that they're doing to little boys, for example. This is all demonic. And we sit there in front of the couch, in front of our phone, with our jaws down to our laps, like, oh my gosh, this is worse than it's ever been before. And like, have you read the book of Judges? Have you read Romans 1, 2, and 3? Let me tell you the, the beautiful thing, is that even though it says that it, the anger of the Lord was hot, that is scary. You know what comes after Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3? Chapter 4 and five, and six, and you get to chapter eight. What a beautiful chapter, chapter eight is. All these things are true, Christians. All these things are true. God is not shocked. Not, he is not in awe. He is not, oh my gosh, this is so scary. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe the faith is going to fail. We are victorious in Christ. The question, though, that we've been placed in this position of compromise with the world is this. What are you going to do about it? You can continue to backslide or you can be raised up as a judge because we are a kingdom of priests. 
We have been sanctified by our Lord Jesus. We've been sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And through Him, we are more than conquerors. And yet we act like we're defeated and being beaten in an alley when we should be following after Him. Because our enemies are fighting hard. And then I'm convicted personally as a leader of the faith, as a servant of our Lord, when I read that the leader of Islamic Jihad in Jerusalem, in prison, on a, on a starvation, on a food protest, died. After three months, he wouldn't eat in protest of what he thinks is a, a, a um, occupation. Thank you. Those that were praying for me to get, have my brain start working. For his conviction, he was willing to go without food until death. He has nine children. And they're marching around now with banners for him. And yet I follow the true and living God. I follow the truth of salvation. That brings life to the world, not death. That religion brings death. It's a false God. And if I have a true and living relationship with the Lord that he purchased for me, what am I going to do with it? And that's when we come back to how we started this message. Left to ourselves, we will compromise. And so we need to bow the knee to the Lord. We need to put on Christ. We need to die to our sins daily, as Paul said. And we need to remind ourselves and be refreshed with those words. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And I don't need to physically starve to death, although I could probably go for a few days without those calories. But spiritually... I should go from a fast on the things that are corrupting me, that are keeping me from the true and living God, things that are getting in the way. And so leaving on that final thought, this evening, we're going to go into prayer. On Wednesday nights in our midweek, we spend the, the last portion of the hour in prayer and intercessory prayer, but we're going to do things a little differently tonight. I'm going to ask that the ushers and elders come forward. We're going to pass out communion, but we're going to have our regular prayer time. And then during our regular prayer time, I want you just to take communion between you and the Lord. Uh, just privately in your own heart. Just spending some time with the Lord, knowing that His work. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for Your grace and Your mercy. And we pray, Lord, that tonight we would be bowing the knees, even in our own hearts. And we pray for a refreshing and a refilling of Your Spirit, that You would encourage us from these words, from this chapter, difficult chapter, and there'll be many more like it. But that we would know that we are more than conquerors in You, Lord. And that we would leave this place with a fresh purpose, and a fresh moving of your spirit as we remember your sacrifice on the cross to give us that grace. That your anger was hot, but that you poured it out on your own son for us. In Jesus' name.